41. Until I was 12, I lived in Edina, a Minneapolis suburb both well-known enough and sheltered enough that I'm from Edina was a sufficient geographic marker for anyone I happened to meet. In seventh grade, we moved to the small town of Lake Crystal, and I realized that I'm from Lake Crystal, only worked for people in a tight radius. Otherwise, I needed to say, I'm from Lake Crystal, a town southwest of Mankato. When I left for college in Iowa City, Lake Crystal, or even Mankato, didn't mean much to the people I met there, so I added qualifiers. I'm from Lake Crystal, in south-central Minnesota, 90 miles southwest of the Twin Cities. The student population at the University of Iowa draws heavily from Iowa and Illinois, so Tina from Minnesota became part of my identity. In 2003, when I lived in Barcelona, and then from 2004 when I moved to Paris, I started saying for the first time, I'm American. I'm from the United States. Je suis américaine. Over the past 17 years, I've said it countless times, in countless different situations. Something I never thought about before leaving the United States is now one of my primary identifiers. Female, 40, American. When I say I'm from the United States, people often get a little sparkle in their eyes. Really? Where? I can tell they want me to say something like New York or LA or Las Vegas, <laughs> someplace that seems exotic and exciting. When I say Minnesota, the reactions vary. Sometimes their eyes kind of glaze over with disappointment. Sometimes they confuse it with Michigan or another place. Sometimes they excitedly demonstrate that they've heard of it before. You'd be surprised at how often I hear people say, Minnesota, like where Brenda and Brandon are from on 90210. Why, yes, I'm so glad you know my home state as a place two fictional characters moved away from. <laughs> I've gotten used to saying things like, it's all the way in the north, right in the middle of the United States, by the Great Lakes. Prince, Bob Dylan, the Coen brothers. While some people seem disappointed that I'm not from a big city, others seem genuinely delighted to meet someone from real America. In Paris, there are lots of Americans, but in Toulouse, it's more unusual. There are English speakers here, but they're primarily from the UK. This means that people often take me as a sort of ambassador. Last November, a TV news crew came to our apartment to interview me about my feelings and predictions regarding the presidential election. <laughs> One time, in a group of about 10 French people, I sneezed, and someone commented, Oh wow, that's how Americans sneeze. Uh, <laughs> that's how I sneeze. I'm not sure that it's particularly representative of 330 million Americans. <laughs> I'm in an English-speaking book club here. There are seven of us, and I'm the only American. Last week, we met to discuss Glennon Doyle's Untamed, and some of their comments pushed me to ask, wait, did you all feel like this book was really American? I was met with laughter and a resounding yes. They asked, what, didn't you think it was American? Uh... <laughs> It just seemed normal to me. Sometimes when I go back to the States, people say to me, you're so French now. But here, even after 17 years, even after getting my French citizenship, even if I spend the rest of my life in France, American is and always will be part of my identity. These thoughts bring me back to a memory from about a year and a half ago. 
I was doing the transfer between Metro Lines A and B at 6.15 on a Friday night. It was busy, and the station was under construction. I usually take the stairs, escalators, but I knew the quickest way to the platform at the moment was to hop in the elevator. The doors were closing, and the elevator was already full, but I squeezed in anyway. Sorry, sorry. I apologized as the elevator sat there for a minute, and I repeatedly pushed the door close button. It was futile, but I wanted to try to make up for the little delay I'd caused by hopping in as the doors closed. The doors started to close again, and a man jumped in. We waited again. I noticed he wasn't bothered or apologetic. The doors finally closed, and the very full elevator slowly made its way down one floor. Just before it arrived, it went clunk, stopped a second, and then continued down the last few inches to its resting place before the doors opened. I knew this clunk. It took me by surprise the last time, but this time I wasn't worried. A woman behind me made a little gasp. I couldn't fully turn in the crowded elevator, but over my shoulder I said, Don't worry, it always does that. She laughed with relief, and I said, Yeah, otherwise we were all about to get to know each other. She laughed again, and a few other smiles broke across the closed, busy, in-transit faces. We're all about to get to know each other. It was the exact thought I had the first time the elevator went clunk on me. In the instance between the clunk, abrupt stop of the lift and the moment where it continued the last few inches and the doors opened, I looked around the elevator and thought, am I about to get to know you? Are we going to share a really strange, close experience? Who is in here with me? The doors opened and the metro was just pulling up to the platform. I dashed out and hopped in. I grabbed an empty seat and busied myself stuffing the items from my pockets into my very small and overfull backpack. Is it expandable? The voice beside me asked. I looked up and there she was, the woman from the elevator. She had a shock of pumpkin orange hair with very white roots and a warm smile. No, the bigger the bag, the more stuff I cram into it. At least this gives me a limit. She laughed and said, you have a little accent. Ah, vous avez un petit accent? (laughs) I cannot count the number of times I've heard this over the years. It's a way of asking, so where are you from, without asking it. Technically, it's a statement, not a question, yet it asks, where are you from? Why are you here? Why are you different? Yes, I'm American. I could have this conversation in my sleep. I was getting ready to rattle off my spiel, I'm American, from Minnesota, including landmarks and references. I've been here since 2004. Yes, I fell in love. Yes, I married a Frenchman. No, I didn't speak French when I arrived. Yes, I miss it sometimes. Yes, I go back every year. Yes, I love it here. No, none of my family is here. Then she said, I'm German. Oh, I didn't see that coming. I can't hear your accent, I exclaimed. In spite of myself, I asked, How long have you been here? Suddenly, I found myself asking the questions I'd been preparing to answer. 54 years, she said. A lifetime, I replied. (laughs) She laughed. I couldn't guess her age, but realized that 54 isn't a lifetime to her, just part of a lifetime. She must feel that the life she lived in Germany is a real and present part of her identity, and that the 54 years she spent in France, while a huge chapter in her life, are not her lifetime. I don't quite know why I said it. 54 isn't very old in my eyes, and it's certainly not long enough to be a lifetime, unless it's a life much too short. 
She went on to tell me she's lived in lots of different places over the 54 years. She was rattling them off faster than I could retain them. Haute-Garonne now, but she'd also lived in La Rochelle, in north of France, in Gabon, in Grenoble. I imagine this woman living on the Atlantic coast, in Africa, in a place so foreign I could hardly picture it. Then before I could wrap my head around that, she said, Grenoble, all of my children were born there. I imagined snowy mountains and a brood of children now grown. I imagined what it feels like to say later in life, all of my children were born there. Images of a rich, beautiful life danced before my eyes. I completely forgot how often I answered these questions and found myself wanting to ask her all about why she was here. We pulled into the next station and suddenly she popped up and said, Auf Wiedersehen, with a smile. Oh, I didn't want her to go. I called after her, Auf Wiedersehen, and the door slid shut.